Chapter Five of the Armorer's Prentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise Boucher. The Armorer's Prentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter Five, The Dragon Court. A citizen of credit and renown a train-band captain eke was he of famous london town cooper in spite of his satisfaction of the honourable obsequies of his dog stephen birkenholt would fain have been independent and thought it provoking and strange that every one should want to direct his movements and assume the charge of one so well able to take care of himself but he could not escape as he had done before from the warden of st elizabeth for ambrose had readily accepted the proposal that they should travel in master headley's company only objecting that they were on foot on which the good citizen hired a couple of hackneys for them besides the two giles headleys the party consisted of tibble the scarred and withered foreman two grooms and two serving-men all armed with the swords and bucklers of which they had made so little use it appeared in process of time that the two namesakes besides being godfather and godson were cousins and that robert the father of the younger one had after his apprenticeship in the paternal establishment at salisbury served for a couple of years in the london workshop of his kinsman to learn the latest improvements in weapons this had laid the foundation of a friendship which had lasted through life though the london cousin had been as prosperous as the country one had been the reverse the provincial trade in arms declined with the close of the york and lancaster wars men were not permitted to turn from one handicraft to another and robert headley had neither the aptitude nor resources his wife was vain and thriftless and he finally broke down under his difficulties appointing by will his cousin to act as his executor and to take charge of his only son who had served out half his time as an apprentice to himself there had been delay until the peace with france had given the armourer some leisure for an expedition to salisbury a serious undertaking for a london burgess who had little about him of the ancient northern weaponsmith and had wanted to avail himself of the protection of the suite of the bishop of salisbury returning from parliament he had spent some weeks in disposing of his cousin's stock in trade which was far too antiquated for the london market also of the premises which were bought by an adjoining convent to extend its garden and he had divided the proceeds between the widow and children he had presided at the wedding of the last daughter with whom the mother was to reside and was on his way back to london with his godson who had now become his apprentice giles headley the younger was a fine tall youth but clumsy and untrained in the use of his limbs and he rode a large powerful brown horse which brooked no companionship lashing out with its shaggy hoofs at any of its kind that approached it more especially at poor plump mottled poppet the men said he had insisted on retaining that and no other for his journey to london contrary to all advice and he was obliged to ride foremost alone in the middle of the road while master headley seemed to have an immense quantity of consultation to carry on with his foreman tibble whose quiet-looking brown animal was evidently on the best of terms with poppet by daylight tibble looked even more sallow lean and sickly and stephen could not help saying to the serving-man nearest to him can such a weakling verily be an armourer yea sir 
Rymouth Tibble, as they call him, was a sturdy fellow till he got a fell against the mouth of a furnace, and lay ten months in St. Bartholomew's Spittle, scarce moving hand or foot. He cannot wield a hammer, but he has a cunning hand for gilding, and colour devices, and is as good as Garter King at Arms himself, for all bearings of knights and nobles. As we heard last night, said Stephen, moreover in the spittle he learned to write and cast a comps like a very scrivener and the master trusts him more than any except maybe kit smallbones the headsmith what will smallbones think of the new prentice said one of the other men prentice tis plain enough what sort of prentice the youth is like to be who beareth the name of the master with only one daughter an emphatic grunt was the only answer while ambrose pondered on the good luck of some people who had their futures cut out for them with no trouble on their own part this day's ride was through more inhabited parts and was esteemed less perilous they came in sight of the thames at lambeth but master hadley remembering how ill his beloved poppet had brooked the ferry decided to keep to the south of the river by a causeway across lambeth marsh which was just passable in high and dry summers and which conducted them to a raised road called bankside where they looked across to the towers of westminster and the abbey in its beauty dawned on the imagination of stephen and ambrose the royal standard floated over the palace whence master headley perceived that the king was there and augured that my lord of york's mena would not be far to seek then came broad green fields with young corn growing or hay waving for the scythe the tents and booths of mayfair and the beautiful market cross in the midst of the village of charing while the strand immediately opposite began to be fringed with great monasteries within their ample gardens with here and there a nobleman's castellated house and terraced garden with broad stone stairs leading to the thames barges and wherries plied up and down the former often gaily canopied and propelled by liveried oarsmen all plying their arms in unison so that the vessel looked like some brilliant many-limbed creature treading the water presently appeared the heavy walls enclosing the city itself dominated by the tall open-work timber spire of st paul's with the four-square four-turreted tower acting as it has been well said as a padlock to a chain and the river's breadth spanned by london bridge a very street of houses built on the abutments now bankside had houses on each side of the road and rymouth tibble showed evident satisfaction when they turned across the bridge where they had to ride in single file not without some refractoriness on the part of young headley's steed on they went now along streets where each story of the tall houses projected over the last so that the gables seemed ready to meet now beside walls of convent gardens now past churches while the country lads felt bewildered with the numbers passing to and fro and the air was full of bells cap after cap was lifted in greeting to master headley by burgess artisan or apprentice and many times did he draw poppet's rein to exchange greetings and receive congratulations on his return on reaching st paul's minister he halted and bade the servants take home the horses and tell the mistress with his dutiful greetings that he should be at home anon and with guests we must e'en return thanks for our safe journey and great deliverance he said to his young companions and thrusting his arm into that of a russet vested citizen who met him at the door he walked into the cathedral recounting his adventure 
the youths followed with some difficulty through the stream of loiterers in the nave giles the younger elbowing and pushing so that several of the crowd turned to look at him and it was well that his kinsmen soon astonished him by descending a stair into a crypt with solid short clustered columns and high-pitched vaulting fitted up as a separate church namely that of the parish of st faith the great cathedral having absorbed the site of the original church had given this crypt to the parishioners here all was quiet and solemn in marked contrast to the hubbub in paul's walk above in the nave against the eastern pillar of one of the bays was a little altar and the decorations included st julian the patron of travellers with his saltire doubly crossed and his stag beside him little ships trees and wonderful enamelled representations of perils by robbers field and flood hung thickly on st julian's pillar and on the wall and splay of the window beside it and here after crossing himself master headley rapidly repeated a paternoster and ratified his vow of presenting a bronze image of the hound to whom he owned his rescue one of the clergy came up to register the vow and the good armourer proceeded to bespeak a mass of thanksgiving on the next morning also ten for the soul of master john birkenholt late verdurer of the new forest in hampshire a mode of showing his gratitude which the two sons highly appreciated then climbing up the steps again and emerging from the cathedral by the west door the boys beheld a scene for which their experiences of romsey and even of winchester had by no means prepared them it was five o'clock on a summer evening so that the place was full of stir old women sat with baskets of rosaries and little crosses or images of saints on the steps of the cathedral while in the open space beyond more than one horse was displaying his paces for the benefit of some undecided purchaser who had been chaffering for hours in paul's walk merchants in the costume of their countries lombard spanish dutch or french were walking away in pairs attended by servants from their exchange likewise in the nave women some alone some protected by serving-men or apprentices were returning from their orisons or it might be from their gossipings priests and friars as usual pervaded everything and round the open space were galleried buildings with stalls beneath them whence the holders were removing their wares for the night the great octagonal structure of paul's cross stood in the centre and just beneath the stone pulpit where sermons were wont to be preached stood a man with a throng round him declaiming a ballad at the top of his sing-song voice and causing much loud laughter by some ribaldry about monks and friars master headley turned aside as quickly as he could through paternoster row which was full of stalls where little black books and larger sheets printed in black letter seemed the staple commodities and thence the burgess keeping a heedful eye on his young companions among all his greetings entered the broader space of cheapside where numerous prentice lads seemed to be playing at different sports after the labours of the day passing under an archway surmounted by a dragon with shining scales master headley entered a paved courtyard where the lads started at the figures of two knights in full armour their lances in rest and their horses with housings down to their hoofs apparently about to charge any intruder but at that moment there was a shriek of joy and out from the scarlet and azure petticoats of the nearest steed there darted a little girl crying father father and in an instant she was lifted in master headley's arms and was clinging round his neck while he kissed and blessed her 
and as he set her on her feet he said here dennet greet thy cousin giles headley and these two brave young gentlemen greet them like a courteous maiden or they will think thee a little town mouse in truth the child had a pointed little visage and bright brown eyes somewhat like a mouse but it was a very sweet face that she lifted obediently to be kissed not only by the kinsmen but by the two guests her father meantime was answering with nods to the respectful welcomes of the workmen who thronged out below and their wives looking down from the galleries above while poppet and the other horses were being rubbed down after their journey the ground floor of the buildings surrounding the oblong court seemed to be entirely occupied by forges workshops warehouses and stables above were open railed galleries with outside stairs at intervals giving access to the habitations of the workpeople on three sides the fourth opposite to the entrance had a much handsomer broad stone stair adorned on one side with a stone figure of the princess fleeing from the dragon and on the other of st george piercing the monster's open mouth with his lance the scaly convolutions of the two dragons forming the supports of the handrail on either side here stood cap in hand showing his thick curly hair and with an open front displaying a huge hairy chest a giant figure whom his master greeted as kit smallbones inquiring whether all had gone well during his absence tis time you were back sir for there's a great tilting match on hand for the lady mary's wedding here have been half the gentlemen in the court after you and my lord of buckingham sent twice for you since sunday and once for tibble steelman and his squire swore that if you were not at his bidding before noon to-morrow he would have his new suit of master hillier of the eagle he shall see me when it suiteth me said master headley coolly he wotteth well that hillier hath none who can burnish plate armour like tibble here moreover the last iron we had from that knave meepum is naught it works short under the hammer that shall be seen to kit the rest of the budget to-morrow i must on to my mother for at the doorway at the head of the stairs there stood the still trim and active figure of an old woman with something of the mouse likeness seen in her granddaughter in the close cap high hat and cloth dress that sumptuary opinion if not law prescribed for the burgher matron a white apron silver chain and a bunch of keys at her girdle due and loving greetings passed between mother and son after the longest and most perilous absence of master headley's life and he then presented giles to whom the kindly dame offered hand and cheek saying welcome my young kinsman your good father was well known and liked here may you tread in his steps thanks good mistress returned giles i am thought to have a pretty taste in the fancy part of the trade my lord of montague before he could get any further mistress headley was inquiring what was the rumour she had heard of robbers and dangers that had beset her son and he was presenting the two young birkenholts to her brave boys good boys she said holding out her hands and kissing each according to the custom of welcome you have saved my son for me and this little one's father for her kiss them dennet and thank them it was the poor dog said the child in a clear little voice drawing back with a certain quaint coquetting shyness i would rather kiss him would that thou couldst little mistress said stephen my poor brave spring was he thine own tell me all about him said dennet somewhat imperiously 
she stood between the two strangers looking eagerly up with sorrowfully interested eyes while stephen out of his full heart told of his faithful comradeship with his hound from the infancy of both her father meanwhile was exchanging serious converse with her grandmother and giles finding himself left in the background began come hither pretty coz and i will tell thee of my lady of salisbury's dainty little hounds i care not for dainty little hounds returned dennet i want to hear of the poor faithful dog that flew at the wicked robber a mighty stir about a mere chance muttered giles i know what you did said dennet turning her bright brown eyes full upon him you took to your heels her look and little nod were so irresistibly comical that the two brothers could not help laughing whereupon giles headley turned upon them in a passion what mean ye by this insolence you beggar's brats picked up on the heath better born than thou braggart and coward that thou art broke forth stephen while master headley exclaimed how now lads no brawling here three voices spoke at once they were insolent he reviled our birth father they did but laugh when i told cousin giles that he took to his heels and he must needs call them beggar's brats picked upon the heath <laughs> wench thou art woman enough already to set them together by the ears said her father laughing see here giles headley none who bears my name shall insult a stranger on my hearth stephen however had stepped forth holding out his small stock of coin and saying sir receive for our charges and let us go to the tavern we passed anon how now boy said i not you were my guests yea sir and thanks but we can give no cause for being called beggars nor beggars brats what beggary is there in being guests my young gentleman said the master of the house if any one were picked up on the heath it was i we owned you for gentlemen of blood and coat armour and thy brother there can tell thee that you have no right to put an affront on me your host because a rude prentice from a country town hath not learned to rule his tongue giles scowled but the armourer spoke with an authority that imposed upon all and stephen submitted while ambrose spoke a few words of thanks after which the two brothers were conducted by an external stair and gallery to a guest-chamber in which to prepare for supper the room was small but luxuriously filled beyond all ideas of the young foresters for it was hung with tapestry representing the history of joseph the bed was curtained there was a carved chest for clothes a table and an ewer and a basin of bright brass with the armourer's mark upon it a twist in which the letter h and the dragon's tongue and tail were ingeniously blended the city was far in advance of the country in all the arts of life and only the more magnificent castles and abbeys which the boys had never seen possessed the amounts of comforts to be found in the dwellings of the superior class of londoners stephen was inclined to look with contempt upon the effeminacy of a churl merchant no churl returned ambrose if manners maketh man as we saw at winchester then what do they make of that cowardly clown his cousin ambrose laughed but said prove we are gentle blood at least by not brawling with the fellow master headley will soon teach him to know his place that will matter not to us to-morrow shall we be with our uncle hal i only wish his lord was not of the ghostly sort but perhaps he may prefer me to some great knight's service but oh ambrose come and look see 
the fellow they call smallbones is come out to the fountain in the middle of the court with a bucket in each hand look didst ever see such a giant he is as big and brawny as ascapart at the bargate at southampton see he lifts that big pail full and brimming as though it were an eggshell see his arm twere good to see him wield a hammer i must look into his smithy before going forth to-morrow stephen clenched his fist and examined his muscles ere donning his best morning jerkin and could scarce be persuaded to complete his toilet so much was he entertained with the comings and goings in the court a little world in itself like a college quadrangle the day's work was over the forges out and the smiths were lounging about at ease one or two sitting on a bench under a large elm-tree beside the central well enjoying each his tankard of ale a few more were watching poppet being combed down and conversing with the newly arrived grooms one was carrying a little child in his arms and a young man and maid sitting on the low wall round the well seemed to be carrying on a courtship over the pitcher that stood waiting to be filled two lads were playing at skittles children were running up and down the stairs and along the wooden galleries and men and women went and came by the entrance gateway between the two effigies of knights in armour some were servants bringing helm or gauntlet for repair or taking the like away some might be known by their flat caps to be apprentices and two substantial burgesses walked in together as if to greet master headley on his return immediately after a man-cook appeared with white cap and apron bearing aloft a covered dish surrounded by a steamy cloud followed by other servants bearing other meats a big bell began to sound the younger men and apprentices gathered together and the brothers descended the stairs and entered by the big door into the same large hall where they had been received the spacious hearth was full of green boughs with a bow-pot of wild rose honeysuckle clove pinks and gillyflowers the lower parts of the walls were hung with tapestry representing the adventures of st george the mullion windows had their upper squares filled with glass bearing the shield of the city of london that of the armourer's company the rose and portcullis of the king the pomegranate of queen catherine and other like devices others belonging to the lancastrian kings adorned the pendants from the handsome open roof and the front of a gallery for musicians which crossed one end of the hall in the taste of the times of henry v and whittington far more interesting to the hungry travellers was it that the long table running the whole breadth of the apartment was decked with snowy linen trenchers stood ready with horns or tankards beside them and loaves of bread at intervals while the dishes were being placed on the table the master and his entire establishment took their meals together except the married men who lived in the quadrangle with their families there was no division by the salt cellar as at the tables of the nobles and gentry but the master his family and guests occupied the centre with the hearth behind them where the choicest of the viands were placed next after them were the places of the journeymen according to seniority and then those of the apprentices household servants and stablemen but the apprentices had to assist the serving-men in waiting on the master and his party before sitting down themselves there was a dignity and regularity about the whole which could not fail to impress stephen and ambrose with the weight and importance of a london burgher warden of the armourer's company and alderman of the ward of cheap there were carved chairs for himself his mother and the guests also a small persian carpet extending from the hearth beyond their seats 
this article filled the two foresters with amazement to put one's feet on what ought to be a coverlet they would not have stepped on it had they not been kindly summoned by old mistress hadley to take their places among the company which consisted besides the family of the two citizens who had entered and of a priest who had likewise dropped in to welcome master hadley's return and had been invited to stay to supper young giles as a matter of course placed himself amongst them at which there were black looks and whispers among the apprentices and even mistress hedley wore an air of amazement mother said the head of the family speaking loud enough for all to hear you will permit our young kinsman to be placed as our guest this evening to-morrow he will act as an apprentice as we all have done in our time i never did so at home cried giles in his loud hasty voice i trow not dryly observed one of the guests giles however went on muttering while the priest was pronouncing a latin grace and thereupon the same burgess observed never did i see it better proved that folk in the country give their sons no good breeding have patience with him good master pepper returned master hedley he hath been an only son greatly cockered by his father mother and sisters but ere long he will learn what is befitting giles glared round but he met nothing encouraging little dunnett sat with open mouth of astonishment her grandmother looked shocked the household which had been aggrieved by his presumption laughed at his rebuke for there was not much delicacy in those days but something generous in the gentle blood of ambrose moved him to some amount of pity for the lad who thus suddenly became conscious that the tie he had thought nominal at salisbury a mere preliminary to municipal rank was here absolute subjection and a bondage whence there was no escape his was the only face that giles met which had any friendliness in it but no one spoke for manners imposed silence upon youth at table except when spoken to and there was general hunger enough prevailing to make mistress hedley's fat capon the most interesting contemplation for the present the elders conversed for there was much for master hedley to hear of civic affairs that had passed in his absence of two months also of all the comings and goings and it was ascertained that my lord archbishop of york was at his suburban abode york house now whitehall it was a very late supper for the times not beginning till seven o'clock on account of the travellers and as soon as it was finished and the priest and burghers had taken their leave master hedley dismissed the household to their beds although daylight was scarcely departed end of chapter five recording by elise boucher milwaukee wisconsin